0: will open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I must admit that uh, I'm particularly drawn to the book of 1 Corinthians right now because my wife and I were um, uh, privileged last week to stand in Corinth, in the ruins of Corinth, and was thinking even about this sermon then, that it was written to those people there and uh, it's just a reminder that these were letters written to real people from a real person inspired by the real Spirit of God. We're gonna be isolating our attention this morning on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 to 35. Let me read that for us. Paul says, this is a chapter about marriage and about singleness. He says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy in body and spirit, but... One who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord." This morning, we're adding another chapter, another sermon in our series on the glory of God in marriage and the family. Particularly, we're gonna look now to those in our body and what the word of God says to those who are unmarried, to those who are single. We've talked about a godly husband. We've talked about a godly wife, the expectations. We look together today at what it means, and this is an important phrase, to take advantage of being unmarried to take advantage of singleness. Now, I have three adult sons, and I, my favorite memories are associated with raising my boys. And when children begin talking, one of the things you teach them is how to count. But counting makes little sense to a three-year-old. For example, for the longest time, our son Mark, I have permission to tell this story, who is sitting on the front row. Our son Mark felt that seven should follow two. One, two, seven. No, no, three. Thanks. One, two, seven. No, Mark, three is after two. Three, one, two, seven. We couldn't get him to find three. By the way, he eventually found numbers three through six. I can assure you of that. Now, unfortunately, a lot of unmarried Christians have adopted a mathematical, mathematical progression that is incorrect and so have married people as well. That progression inverts the numbers one and two. Let me explain. They may not say it, but the thinking, at least practically and somewhat theologically, is that two should come before in priority one. By this, I mean that marriage, which involves two people, is more important than singleness, which is about one person. That's not the evidence we find, however, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. If I could summarize Paul's message that closes this great chapter on relationships, I would say it like this. One always comes before two. I went to seminary to figure that out. One comes before two. It does that in a couple of ways in Paul's mind. First of all, Paul argues over and over throughout chapter seven That his conviction and preference, listen, his preference is that singleness is ahead of marriage in many ways. It has more advantages. The single Christian enjoys unhindered ministry, undistracted devotion for Jesus in ways beyond what a married person can ever accomplish. And in this sense, one comes before two in ministry opportunity. Another way, though, that one comes before two in this chapter is if you really want to get to two in a godly spiritual fashion, you have to go through one. In other words, the pathway to being satisfied and holy and godly and satisfying and mature and responsible in marriage begins by understanding how to be a godly single man or woman. One does come before two. Now, if you're married and you're sitting there thinking, wow, should have stayed home and and, and played golf today. Would have been a bad day to play golf, by the way. Uh, Let me encourage you that we have many things to learn from singles and many things to learn from this passage. And just to kind of level things out in your mind, the blessed... Glorious, godly singles in our midst have sat through two months of hearing God's word talk about your heart as a married person, we need to understand and they have prayed for you and understood that we also as married people need to understand and pray for and get our minds around what God says about singleness. All of God's word is eminently practical to anyone and everyone, right? So let's make sure that we listen for our own hearts as well as for those who are single if you're married. Now, the concept of celibacy or singleness has suffered unusual scorn in many Christian circles. It's tragic. Certainly, even in our own church, unwittingly, it's easy to have a wrong view of singles and singleness. Now, because our church honors and values marriage, and it does, and I'm so grateful for that, Just remember that unmarried believers in our fellowship can feel left out, can feel looked down upon, can feel disregarded, can feel discredited, can feel incomplete or immature, irresponsible, juvenile, even ungodly, and nothing can be farther from the mind of the Apostle Paul I understand this. I was married at 31, Kim was 28, and I went through long years in my young adult life of enduring painful comments, condescending looks that come with being single and getting older. By the way, most of those hurtful comments came from well-meaning Christians. Well-intentioned friends were not always so sensitive about my feelings as a single Christian man. I wanted to be married, People would say, why aren't you married? The point was, I couldn't always help it. Insensitive jokes, incessant prodding to find someone and get married. Don't be that aunt, even if you're not related, who takes it upon herself to dote on a single young man, young woman, older man, older woman and give them all of your relational wisdom as to how you can solve all of their ills if they would just just stop it. Getting forgotten about. I understood how that felt and pray that God always leaves me sensitive to remembering that plight. The plight's not being single. The plight's having the wrong perspective. Now, before we get into the details of this section of scripture, which is so encouraging, we need to establish some background. So just hold on for a moment. By the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, Paul was single. He says so. Scholars tell us that he probably had been married before, but his wife had died. Some suggest that his wife left him. There's no biblical evidence of that. But we know that he had to have been Married because he was a part of the Jewish aristocracy and Sanhedrin, and that was required to be married. Jewish boys in the time were typically married sometime between 14 and 18. Marriage was considered a duty, so much so that if a man was not married by 20, it was seen as sin, and he was forced into marriage with whoever the elders decided he should marry. In fact, a single man who was age 20 or older could be ordered by the Jewish community and the Jewish elders to marry a wife of their choice. There's evidence in ancient, or in first century Jewish writings, of men who were 18 and 19 moving as fast as they can through the parents to try to avoid the elders picking out their spouse. Again, Paul was a member of the Jewish ruling body called the Sanhedrin, according to Acts 8, Acts 26, which meant that he had to be married so he knew both marriage and singleness. That's important. And in comparing the two, he lands on the side of the greater advantage being single. Paul, though, is not anti-marriage. He's writing this section of this letter to answer questions that the Corinthians had about relationships and about ministry. So, remember that Paul is giving instructions to a specific group of people in the church at Corinth who lived in the first century, but those principles survive to us today. A little about the context. If you go back to verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one by the mercy of the Lord who is trustworthy. And what he's not saying is this is my opinion, not Christ. He's saying Jesus didn't teach on this specifically, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I am. Verse 26, I think that it is good in view of the present distress that uh, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. The context is if you're married, if you're unmarried rather, don't be in such a hurry to get married. Don't be in such a hurry to run into marriage. It has its own challenges that you may not be aware of. Footnote, is Paul anti-marriage? Have you been here for the last two months? he he loves marriage it's a mirror of the gospel he promotes marriage verse 27 are you bound to a wife don't seek to be released if I'm going to talk about how wonderful and advantageous singleness is don't decide I'll just get a divorce and be single again don't seek to be released are you released from a wife don't seek a wife maybe in the context if you're if uh, there's an unbelieving spouse who leaves or if you have uh, or if you're widowed it's okay to remain single But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned yet. Such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. Trouble in view of the pressing pressures and troubles of life, especially the persecution in Corinth at the first century. Further, the pressures of of marriage itself and raising children and responsibilities. These troubles will be further spelled out in verses 32 to 35. He says, in light of the fact that marriage is not going to solve all your problems, take advantage of the advantageous state you find yourself in as a single. Now, in verse 28, he shifts to the priority of an eternal perspective. But I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as those who had none and those who weep as those who did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it for the form of this world is passing away. He's just saying half perspective. Understand that these current conditions, married or single, rich or poor are going to pass away, have an eternal perspective. So remember that verse 29, those who have wives should not, should be as those who had none. Have have the perspective that you're gonna be, have in heaven, which is to be eternally single and married forever in a spiritual sense to Jesus himself. Earthly sorrow is temporary, as those who weep, as though they will not weep. Earthly joy is temporary, those who rejoice, as those who did not rejoice. Earthly wealth is temporary, those who buys if they did not possess. And earthly pleasure is temporary, those who use the world, make use of it. The form is passing away. In other words, think about more than this life. For our single brothers and sisters, the way to be ready for marriage is the same path to enjoy purposefulness and singleness. Namely, to develop a, a perspective that measures eternity against our short little lives. Now please notice, if we talk about marriage, if we talk about singleness, the ultimate purpose of both marriage and singleness is to glorify God. When we looked at Ephesians 5, when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, we noticed that the purpose of marriage is to demonstrate the gospel. It has a God-focus, a God-reflection, a God-centeredness to marriage. Marriages are to mirror the gospel as only they can. And in the passage before us, singles and singleness is to take advantage of that state, that status, that exalted position, as Paul calls it, as only they can. Said another way, married people can glorify God as only married people can in a way that singles can't. But singles can glorify God and minister for him in ways that married people can never either. So let's isolate, there's so much in this passage, but I wanna just isolate for us two unique advantages of singleness. Singleness. Two unique advantages of singleness. If you're a single, and that means if you're five or six, junior high, high school, collegian, younger or older, these words are for you. Know this. Contra the teaching of the Catholic Church, which uses this passage for the celibacy of priests so they can be undistracted and unhindered, there is nothing in these words, nothing in these words that says this is for the priesthood. There's nothing in these words that says it's a permanent state. So this idea that you've been given the gift of singleness is both myth and fact. There is nothing in this text that says there is a lifetime gift of singleness. Now I want to tell you that so that some people don't think, well, I'm single and God may have given me the gift of singleness as a lifetime, and I want to find the spiritual receipt to return this gift. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you are single, that state, short or long, is an advantage and a gift in the moment. So I just need to clear up some bad Roman Catholic doctrine that this is about priests and ministry. No, no, no it's not. Two unique advantages of singleness. The first is in verses 32 to 34 unhindered ministry for Christ. These are the words of the Holy Spirit. This is the mind of the Apostle Paul, who had both been married and single. He says, One unique advantage of singleness is you have unhindered or undivided, is another way of saying that. Undivided, unhindered ministry for Jesus, for Christ. Verse 32 but I want you to be free from concern. We have to pull over for a minute. The concern he is describing here is the weight and responsibility that comes with being married. Married people are concerned. They are weighted. They have responsibility. Again, I was married at 31, so I had some some significant years in my adult life where I was single and then I became married. And I remember, I don't know, a few months into marriage realizing, oh my, this is a bigger deal than I thought. I, I, I have concerns that, I mean, I live with a person of the opposite sex and it's permanent. And I can't only live for and with and about myself anymore. Now, not all ways that you live for and with and about yourself are ungodly or are sinful. I want you to be free from concern. For those of us who are married, welcome to responsibility, right? We, we have concerns. What do you talk about, Paul? He goes on in verse 32. One who is single, who is unmarried, is concerned or focused about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Well, th- of course, Paul, but what do you mean by that? Verse 33. But here's the explanation. One who is married is concerned about the things of the world. And that doesn't mean like you know, uh, uh, visiting the Grand Canyon and it's a thing of the world or, or sinful. He's talking specifically, it means your marriage, how he may please his wife. And here's the key. And his or her interests are hindered or, or, or divided. Married people are focused and concerned about how they may please or satisfy or care for a spouse. The central point Paul is making is not a judgment about your resources, but just a statement of fact. It's assessments of time and resources and focus and attention. Now, as a footnote, he is not saying that a married person has to choose between pleasing the Lord and pleasing a spouse. Well, I'm gonna have to decide if I'm gonna please God or please my wife. And he tells me I'm gonna please my wife, so I'm gonna elbow God out of the way till maybe next week. That's not what he's talking about. The word for please, aresko in the Greek, means satisfy, please, accommodate is a really good translation. How he may accommodate, care for, a spouse. There is no question that a person who is married has a, listen, diminished potential to minister to the Lord and for the Lord because he or she is married. We have diminished potential. That's why Ephesians 5 makes the point that a married person's primary ministry responsibility is their spouse, and in that, we mirror the gospel. He's not saying you choose either or. You use your marriage as a way to look, to mirror and reflect gospel truth, and we've talked about that at some length. I love the multiple dimensions of ministry, but as a husband and a father, my primary focused attention is my family. It's God's design, but it limits me. I was a junior high pastor as a, um, as a single out in, in California for five years. That's where I met Kim in the context of ministry. But I remember literally, I was, something was happening every night. I was doing and going and discipling and ministering and going to prayer meetings. It was nonstop. And I loved it. It was wonderful. Then I got married and realized I can't do that like that anymore. There's a change. Keep reading. In verse 34. The woman who is unmarried, actually, before we pick that up, go, go back and pick up that last phrase his interests are divided. Um, I, I want to make sure you understand, Paul is not saying you have a choice of spouse or God. It's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is the amount of attention you can devote to ministry and to your own devotion to the Lord is diminished because he's called you to give that tension to your spouse. Not a bad thing. Ephesians 5 says that, but a real thing. Now verse 34, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin, he's talking about someone who's never been married, is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. This is not obviously limiting these dimensions to a female. This is for a man as well. Holiness to the Lord in, in your body and what you do and your spirit and what you think. But the one who is married, they're concerned about the things of the world. Now, that's not the ungodly things of the world, but he references again how she may please her husband. So he's talked to the men and to the women. If you're a married person, you gotta be concerned about your spouse. If you are single, you don't have a spouse that you need to be overly concerned about or concerned about at all. In London, a few weeks ago, I was asked by a group of pastors sitting together. It's interesting when pastors get together, the questions that we ask each other and the questions we have to answer with each other. And one pastor said to me, sitting downstairs at Grace left London, he says, what's, what's the most dynamic and exciting sector or part of your church? thought about it a minute and without much thought you know what I said our singles ministry and our student ministry it's not that the married people are unfaithful ungodly inattentive but when I look at the the, the bubbling with ministry parts of our church you know those, those the singles who get together on Thursday night the students who gather on Wednesdays and Sundays they are are the wind of the Holy Spirit in the sails of these people is so evident and obvious. It's exciting. Now, footnote, before anyone says, well, our pastor isn't like married people, he doesn't think we're viable. No, it was just the first thing that came to my mind because these people are so wonderfully committed to the Lord and their reputations are glowing with Christ-likeness. They're flourishing. Let me encourage you. I don't think they would mind if some of you wanted to come on a Thursday night and just sit and sing and listen and interact with with our, our singles group. It's just infectious. I love it. Spend time with some of our students. Go to camp. See what you find. They're so refreshing in their service, their fellowship, their energy for Christ, their sacrifices, their evangelism. And again, nothing in this text indicates that you you have to stay single to have that passion the rest of your life. There's nothing about age or reason for being single. This is students, collegians, career singles, widowed, divorced. If you are single, you are in this state to be able to glorify God in some unusual ways to minister to him and for him. Now, for those of us who are outside of that advantageous point, let me be careful. This doesn't mean that singles have an unending supply of time and money and are just waiting for you to call upon them for your service. Spank your hand on that. That's not right. They have jobs and attention and focus and friends and families as well. Don't think that they are just sitting waiting by the phone. Maybe they'll call me to serve today. It's not happening. And at the same time, knowing most of them, I think they would be very welcoming of an opportunity to serve. You know how you know that? You love them. You have them in your home. You treat them as your brothers and sisters, not some unique radioactive class of Christians. But the focus of this passage climaxes in the second unique advantage of singleness. And this is what I love. Number two, they have undistracted devotion to Christ. Undistracted devotion to Christ. Paul makes the main point of his argument and his glory in the state of being unmarried in verse 35. I say this to you for your own benefit. Stop right there. He is instructing singles for their usefulness and their benefit. He's saying this is, you're not radioactive. You're not just a part of the church. You are the tip of the spear of what Christ wants to happen on behalf of his great name. And not only that, it gets personal, very personal. Not to put a restraint on you. Don't feel restrained. Don't feel chained. Don't feel sentenced. But to provide what is becoming appropriate. Here it is. To secure undistracted devotion to God. The Lord. All of us should have that verse underlined in our Bible. It's not that any Christian, married or not, young or old, is to have undistracted devotion to the Lord. They have a unique opportunity, not having a spouse, to be undistracted in devotion to the Lord. Now, can we be honest with this, each other, for a second? There's an implication here that Paul is very clear about. It's not a sinful implication, but it's a real thing. And that is being married can distract you from your walk with Christ. You say, how does that work? I thought when you get married, it just bubbles with godliness and Norman Rockwell comes in and paints your family devotions every night. No, that's not what it means. It means that you're so concerned about the daily affairs of being married and families which is wonderful, and there are many passages that talk about that. As an unmarried believer, it's an advantage to your own closeness to Jesus to not be concerned with those, what Paul calls distractions. Paul says singleness in a spiritual sense is a benefit, not a restraint, It's not a curse, it's not a punishment, it's not a sentence. He encourages those who are unmarried to enjoy undistracted devotion to the Lord. What does this mean? Without divided attention of a spouse and family, an unmarried Christian has an advantage over a married believer of being more single-minded in their walk with Jesus. But let me say this. The reason for this point of instruction in First Corinthians is you also, as an unmarried believer, have unique distractions and temptations that come along with that as well. Such that he's saying, take advantage of this state in your life. Don't, don't waste it. Don't waste your singleness before the Lord. I was reflecting on this on my... Long, one of my long flights last week. And remembering back to when I was in seminary and I was single, and let me say a footnote, I think you all know I love my wife. I love being married to my wife. I don't wanna change that. But there were, there was a time when I, I would go down to the Huntington Library in Los Angeles. There was a series of Saturdays that I went down for eight or 10 hours took a packed lunch and I sat there and I read Calvin's Institutes. Just wanted to read it. No distraction, no responsibility. I could do it because I didn't have to do other things. Compare that to what it would mean to my sons or, or my wife if I said, you know what, for the next four weeks, I'm gonna leave on Saturday mornings at seven in the morning, I'm gonna take, I wanna read Calvin's Institutes again, so I'm gonna take my books, I'll probably be back after dinner, see ya. Unkind, uncaring, insensitive, but for my time when I was unmarried, wonderful, wonderful to be able to have those, those opportunities and those advantages to study, to be devoted to the Lord, to have extended periods and times of prayer that the Lord offered that time. So that raises a lot of questions. So I wrote some practical applications. Let's talk about this for a minute. Some practical considerations for singles, for unmarried believers. Number one, as I just said, again, I'm not, I don't think I have these numbered, bullet point one. Take advantages of your time To read theology, scripture, Christian books, to study, to listen to sermons. Take advantage of the lack of responsibility to a spouse and family, to be open to personal learning from your Savior. It's a gift. I have permission for my wife to say this. I love my family. I love my wife. But I miss those times of being able to read what I want and do what I want, have extended time by myself with the Lord that I just can't have now. It's exactly what Paul's saying. Secondly, take advantage of the time to serve. Boy, do our, our singles, young and old, youth and likewise do this. Just... I love the example of the unmarried Christians in our church and how they lead out in their service. Again, they don't have untold amounts of time and resources. But I've seen them use their time and resources in wonderful ways. Thank you for that, for being our examples and our encouragements in that. We understand that you have priorities of work and family like everyone else. But, because you don't have the responsibility of a ministry to a spouse, you're free to serve others in unique ways. Take advantage of that. This is so beautifully fulfilled in our church. Thirdly, develop a deep and rich prayer life. You are not alone. You need not be lonely. You have the permanent promise of the Spirit of God, Son of God, and the Eternal Father to never leave or forsake you. Those times of being alone, not lonely, being alone with your God without responsibility or hindrances is a gift. Take advantage of it. Number four, is that right? I have to say it. Pursue being marriageable. If you want to be married, then pursue not marriage, but being marriageable. Ask yourself, can I just be honest with you? Ask yourself, would someone want to be married to me with my life, my attitudes, my actions? Be the person who's spiritually attractive. Become that. Pursue that. The Puritans called it being marriageable. I like that term. And a few final words. You are not, as a single, spiritually radioactive in our church. You are a vital part of our body. I shudder to think of what our church would look like without those who are unmarried serving in our body. We would be incomplete. We would be unimportant. We would be uh, anemic spiritually. We would have a, less of a footprint in Kansas City without you Also don't idolize marriage. Don't idolize marriage. It's much better to be alone than to compromise, compromise and be married and miserable. Being alone and being lonely is a far more manageable condition. Than compromising and being in a marriage that's miserable. Don't idolize marriage. Consider the ways that you can maximize your time, your resources for your relationship and ministry to Christ. Can I remind you of something? Can I remind all of us of something? Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the best person to ever live, was single and happy and holy and fulfilled. Look to him. Now, a few words to those who are married. Don't assume that the singles in our church have unlimited time and opportunities to serve you. (laughs) Don't think, oh, free babysitting. Forever, anytime I want to. If someone wants to serve you in that way, that's great. Just, just a little footnote. And this is not to make anyone feel like they need to do this to anyone. But I just want to tell you a story. When my wife and I were in California, we were ministering to college students, and there were there was a a group of people. I can tell you, it was led by Bart Horton, who's pastor in uh, um, um, Hutchinson. He organized a group of about 20 people and said, we want to serve the Hollands. They serve us. So we want to organize some little coupons that they can uh, take advantage of for for babysitting. They don't have have to pay for. We always tried. They always turned it down. By the way, there's nothing wrong with paying for babysitting. I remember that blessing us to such extent that it brought tears several times to my wife's eyes. We had so many ministry responsibilities we had to go go to that organizing sitters was just a complicated nightmare. We would call up Bart, and in ten minutes he would call back and say, "So and so is going to be there at this time," and it it changed our lives. It served us beyond my ability to describe. But as marrieds, don't assume that just the singles in our church are waiting around, sitting around waiting for your phone call. Also, for us who are married, don't make assumptions about their desire to be married. Either way. Don't decide, well, they're single and happy, leave them alone. And don't try to matchmake every time you see them. I've experienced both of those as a a single man. Don't don't do that. How do you you, uh, uh, relate to that? Get to know them, love them over time. Then you can talk about these things as a point of your spiritual connection with each other and your love for each other, not being an, an older nag, just trying to fix them. They're not broken, okay? That's the point that Paul's making. Similarly, don't let the topic of relationships be the only thing you talk with them about. Instead, be ready to listen to them and pray with them. And if they want to talk to you about relationships and their desires, let's bear that burden, that desire with them. Equally bearing our own burdens and our own desires with them. Let me go back to say it again. Married people aren't the fixed, and unmarried people are the broken. That's not the truth these are states that god has us in his providence in equally advantageous to glorify god but paul says singles have an extra gear and then lastly we as married folks and younger and older even those who are single pray for your single brothers and sisters pray they would take advantage of their their opportunities that they would be un Distracted in their devotion to the Lord, that they would find a spouse if they desire? This prayer is directly related to your willingness to love and care for and relate to them. I think the key is for all of us to recognize our default of selfishness about being married or about being single and we need to become aware of each other's lives, each other's trials and joys and desires and difficulties. That's why we don't have a singles care group and an older married care group and a younger married care group. We want everybody mixing up. The body of Christ comes together to serve and to wait on one another in every category. Having said all that, Humor me just a few seconds. For those who are unmarried and desire to be, can you interact with us and talk with us, especially your caregiver leaders, your, your pastors? I, I think sometimes what you're looking for is closer than you think. What are your expectations? This is another series we'll do maybe on a Thursday night. What are your expectations? I'll I'll reserve the dating series just have your focus to be on who you can serve not what you could get in a marriage spoiler alert no one wants to be married to someone who wants to be married to them so that you can make them eternally happy you won't you can't only Christ can in marriage or in singleness he's the only one who can bring satisfaction and happiness to our souls let me tell you something really sad the loneliest people i have ever counseled and met are married only jesus christ can bring the satisfaction that is a married as a single young or old, only Christ can satisfy that. Only he paid the price for our sins. Only he offers us purpose and meaning in this life. Only he gives us hope that when we die, we won't stay dead because he rose from the grave. Only he, only he can make us genuinely joyful and happy. And if we place expectations of happiness on idols, He is gracious to keep those idols from us. Paul told the Ephesians, Gentile, Jewish, that you're one in Christ. I think we can take from that that in the body of Christ at Missionary Bible Church, single and married, young and old, rich or poor, We are all one in Christ. Not two categories. One body of believers seeking to glorify him in whatever marital or life position or state we find ourselves in. And our interactions with each other should be to push toward those goals.